what are some like key lessons from your success? Main thing I learned is nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. Don't ride the highs and don't sit in the lows. Jack Smith, he's the CEO of Fortuna BMC. You are about to meet a man who is an award-winning CEO, philanthropist, entrepreneur, podcast host, speaker, and author, who is building an army of entrepreneurs and small business owners who are changing the world. Where do you draw the line? Why would I ask him to drive a car with one eye open, mm -hmm. right? So I, I share it all, other than salaries of individuals and at the C-level, you know, they see their staff anyway, but you know, the only thing we don't talk about is salaries. And even with the salaries, we try as best we can to be as fair and balanced. So everybody's on the same scale. So the so space mining, is that like you're getting resources from different planets and Correct. selling it? The concept is more around asteroids, particularly the asteroid belt is one I'm particularly fascinated by and how we can collect these, you know, otherwise non-sustainable resources and, and put them to utility. I heard you were taking an MIT class, right? Uh, that that is true. Well, I, I well I took an MIT class, and let's be perfectly frank, it's the per, uh, professional education version of MIT. So um, it it is not uh, you know I didn't have uh, you know sixteen hundred SAT or anything to 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 get in there, um, but. I did sign up for their um, continuing education class in new space technologies. And in particular, um, we're trying to develop the pathway for those veterans I was talking about to the jobs of the future. You know, not, not the jobs that are coming out today, but their skill sets and how they can transition forward. And the MIT had a, this called the new space economy class. And it's really talking about the evolution of the business industry uh, of space from what it once was being run and governed by uh, international agencies, right? That, that the success was the only real measure of outcome, right? There was no financial viability. There was no business model. If it took a billion dollars to put somebody on the moon, who cares? We did it, right? Now in the new space economy, the, the places where we're trying to build the bridge they're the companies that are doing things in space that we're paying business dollars for and using in our day-to-day -day lives here on earth and that's what's driving this and and the the secondary marketplace that will become you know the in orbit um space and then lunar space and and you know asteroid mining and you know mars habitation and all those things are you know 30 to 50 years or less outside of our realm and the truth is that there's jobs in new space today um, and space tourism. Uh, and, you know, there are 2025, 2027 projects that are going to put orbiting um, bits into the space that'll begin the, the, the beginnings of what will be an orbital a manufacturing shared co-working space. So there's lots of really cool concepts that are coming together. And so I, I'm trying to build that bridge um, and really connect to those um, who are making those changes. Hmm. That is really interesting. So, so you're not taking the class because you want to go to Mars? <laughs> no, no, no. But um, I uh, so one of my favorite books growing up as a kid was Ender's Game, uh, and uh, ultimately the whole world that Orson Scott Card created around it, um, which takes place on a, a futuristic Earth um, where space mining and travel are, are a big deal. So I've always kind of wanted to own a space mining company. Um, mm. so, um, that might happen right now. I'm settling for crypto mining, but we, we, we do do that too. Nice. So space mining, is that like you're getting resources from different planets and Correct. selling it? Uh, I, in particular, it, uh, the concept is more around asteroids, um, particularly the asteroid belt is one I'm particularly fascinated by, um, and how we can collect these, you know, otherwise non-sustainable um, resources and, and put them to utility, um, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that's both sustainable and habitable and, you know, doesn't destroy our planet in, in the process or anybody else's planet for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, that's really kind of the concept is to use the, the primordial soup that remains um, towards the construction that we build in the future. That's, you know, long-term thesis, you get a little theoretical there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So when, when do you think that's possible? Like space mining, is that like in the near future within this next decade or? Uh, 
Probably not. I, I think, you know, we're probably in the next 10 years, you'll see in orbit um, businesses start to develop, uh, or at least the nascent, the, the early stages of that. Um, you're already seeing space tourism, which is kind of the first day, just proven that we could touch the sky, right? Um, and then now it'll be, what can we do while we're in the sky? That's, that's really what's next. And, and uh, you know, space junk and the debris and in orbit care and repair of actively deployed equipment that doesn't have to come back down to earth and then come back and be redeployed. Um, I think those are, you know, the next decade-ish type of technology concepts that will, will be kind of available um, you know, the lunar base and, and landing is kind of probably the next logical step. And I think where the chips are already kind of in place to do that, both from a, um, a national and European agency, you know, uh, the, the world agencies actually, you know, uh, Brazil, Poland, uh, Portugal was trying to build their own space hub right there. So they're actually um, trying to build, build the uh, European uh, hub for uh, space right there in Portugal. So, um, kind of just some neat stuff that the world is, is waking up to. And so I want to build the pathways for the veterans who have those skill sets, because mm -hmm. if you're managing a spaceport or an airport or a, you know, a seaport and all the things that go in and on around it, whether it was a boat, a plane, a tank, a Humvee, whatever, a lot of those skill sets transfer very nicely. And um, I think that career path appeals to the people that are, military service appeals to as well. So I think there's some, some camaraderie there um, in the exploration and the doing bold things and daring great dreams and that kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I into that. Yeah, that's super exciting. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's just exciting, you know, and um, I think I saw an art, a headline either today or yesterday that, uh, what is it, Virgin Galactic? Mm -hmm. um just I, they're going to be official soon or they're already official or something like that well so they, they are official yeah. they're going to start actually booking flights very soon um they, they finally i think perfected their technology um they have a very interesting technology it's it's like kind of suborbital flight more like it's a attached wing and they, they drop it and then it shoots off in the space it's it's kind of a neat deployment structure but hmm so I mean, there's so many billionaires in this, right? You got, uh, you got uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. you got Elon Blue Musk. Origin is the, they just want a, a deal to to put the lunar uh, to build the lunar lander um, and the base uh, on the moon. Hmm. Interesting. Or at least begin the concepts. Uh, I think the base on the moon is like early stage, you know, proposals. Mm -hmm. They're one of the down selected folks. Right. So, who do you think? Or what, what are the main differences between all those companies? Well, I mean, the, there are so many. So like, like, you know, and Blue Origin, they, they were just trying to prove they could touch the sky there in the beginning, right? You know, everything was kind of driven by the I'm sorry X prize um, that, that really sparked the, the race that was Bezos versus uh, Richard Branson versus uh, crap, I can't think of the other guy's name. Mm -hmm. but, um, uh, Musk. <laughs> Forgot that guy. Um, so, um, and so that was really kind of the nascent bit of it. So SpaceX is, is really kind of the, the cream of the crop there, right? Um, mm. They, that's why I don't really think of them in the same category because SpaceX really has a functional business. They make money. Uh, they're probably breaking even-ish. But because they are now solved how to take off and land, uh, rockets and so it reduces dramatically the cost because everything was one-time use you put it out there and that space junk is gone that's why they think there's you know some most of that came back to earth but the things that are are still out there recover and as we move forward to future that's another way that we can recover those costs because maybe you know great it goes out into orbit but maybe you put it out there far enough that there's a collection um uh space you know uh, repair you know, a traveling repair shop that, that kind of repurposes these things. Um, so I think SpaceX really has this, um, the economics down. Um, Virgin Galactic is very much a touristy kind of focus. It's an experiential, it's Richard Branson. He, he's gonna show you a great time. It's gonna be a great experience. Um, and, and 
dare to boldly do things and their technology is very cool. I don't know how much utility their technology has outside of space tourism mm. um, and, and its capabilities to, to land and navigate and things. Um, so I'd be curious to see, I don't expect them to be anything more than Virgin Voyages at some points, you know, though, you know, someday be the international space galactic star cruiser that everybody gets on and goes to Venus, right? Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be a Virgin um, uh, travel, uh, I, that's for sure. Um, Blue Origin is the one I think that's gonna change the game though. I mm -hmm. really like what they're doing. They're focusing on how to build things in orbit that we can use or, or benefit from here on Earth. And that's the solutions that are going to change our world. Hmm. The, the ones that, that take all of this great new capabilities. I mean, we've always kind of benefited from the space emerging technologies. Often we'll, we'll be able to put that in the private sector utility. You've seen that, you know, extrapolation dozens of times. Um, but now we're going to be building for utility rather than ex discovering utility in arrears, if that makes sense. So, so we're solving this problem and we're going to do it with this fashion. So it's going to produce those outcomes and be the solving a specific need um, that requires it to have economy. That means it needs to be valuable enough that I can charge enough and people are willing to pay for what it costs to do it at a profitable fashion that, that returns value and, and continues to maintain without having subsidies or otherwise being sustained. And that's what's really kind of exciting. And I, I think the Blue Origin guys have, have that um, really well locked down and they're, they're a great uh, source of hiring veterans. Wow, that's awesome. So, you know, it seems like now that there's a profit motive, um, you know, a lot of, billionaires are putting their money behind this and it seems like they're getting more traction than like the government would ever do get right but it always is the case it mm -hmm. has always been the case that's that's what's exciting about new space is mm -hmm. is once it's no longer and that was really kind of the point of this particular class at mit actually was to explain kind of the difference between the historical space agencies and and their motives were just to prove that we could do it to to you know, check mm -hmm. the box and and now that it's having to, to prove useful, it, it's, it's driving innovation differently. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what the, you know, the billionaires, you know, I think a lot of that was really started by the Ansari X Prize. I, I think they're all accidental rocketeers. Um, you know, I mean, I know they say they have their plans and all of that, but I think they heard the X Prize and that's what created the plans. Um, you know, if you hear their stories. So, um, you know, that's pretty exciting, mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, all good. So what are kind of like, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned space mining, that seems to be a little further out, those jobs would be later. Yeah, that's, that's definitely like, you know, 80 year old Jack might be right. starting the groundbreaking on mm -hmm. launching that particular business. Yeah. Right. So what about <laughs> um, jobs right now? What are like practical jobs that are coming in the space? Well, anything spaceport management right so anything electrical uh, mechanical or engineering based um, we're looking for pilots they all need administrators so you you need anything it takes to run a spaceport so you know electrical engineers uh, uh, computer programmers uh, support technical support specialists i mean it takes a, a wide variety and and the truth is that this is such a new career field there's not really a pipeline of, of already skilled workers that have that. And so what veterans provide really nicely is that primordial soup, they have all the components, they just need to be pointed in the right direction, you know, give them a six month, you know, six week crash course in it, and they're ready to operate. Mm. And, and that's, uh, that's really what they're finding is because they're having to kind of grow their own, they're going to a lot of colleges and universities and getting young talent that they can afford, and that they can teach and grow into um, more than the the straight path. And that's, that's where, uh, that's where we come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool that you guys are really guiding them in that sort of direction. And, um, we're starting to, that, yeah, uh, you know, that's the, the, this whole industry is, is brand new. I mean, I literally just got out of the course a couple weeks ago. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, this is all like tip of the spear stuff. Uh, but we are, um, having some conversations with some of those guys uh, about some opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's good. So, 
you guys basically go to like a um, Blue Origin and you talk to them like, hey, we got these great veterans that would be a perfect fit for your company. Here are some of the skill sets. Here's the value they they can provide. Exactly. Can give them what kind of jobs can you give them. That sort of thing, right? Exactly. And and really, the purpose of this was to deepen those partnerships so that I I start to understand that. So you know, I'm literally at the tip of of all of this development. We have a few of those types of conversations going on, um, but they're in their their very early stages because they don't even understand the needs. Like we're I'm building this bridge as it's being created. Um, mm because this new space economy, you see it, there's only a couple dozens of companies that are really investing in new space. Uh, there's not a lot of startup or VC money going into it yet, um, but it's starting to. And so that's mm. where my commitment to, and Fortuna's goal is to stay on the cutting edge of technology. So we're, we're staying close to nanotech manufacturing and, and AI um, mm. and some of those concepts. So we're, we're building those bridges for the jobs of tomorrow. Um, and this was one of those ways where I stay current and keep us relevant in those new emerging mm-hmm. industries. Yeah, that's that's super exciting to be in the forefront like that. And um, I do think that this next couple of decades, I mean, the exponential growth of hu- uh, humanity is going to, you know, just just increase. I mean, I'm really excited for it. You know, that you got AI, you got nanotech, like you mentioned, you got space exploration, you got VR, AR, you got crypto, you know, there's so many new exciting technologies. Our reach is growing. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's really, really exciting. And I hope that the people really kind of lean into, don't be afraid of these technologies, don't get replaced by these technologies, embrace these technologies and learn to use them as your sidekick, as your partner, as your, mm-hmm. your facilitator. Um, and if, if you can learn to do that, you can really, you know, shape the future of your career fields. Don't, don't be afraid of the emerging technology. Don't begrudge it. Mm-hmm. Um, be grateful that we get to do the more humanistic, the art tree, the art that only a human can do. Mm-hmm. And free yourself up to, to do and create and, and be, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. There's so many new jobs that haven't even been thought of or invented yet that mm-hmm. um, are going to come from the freedom and the creativity that that uh, these new technologies are going to bring us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. Not having fear. You know, people kind of fear the unknown sometimes and new technologies. Um, you know, I hear that sometimes. Like, well, I I won't be using AI. It's like, why not? You know, you're going to be left behind. And like, for example, um, I just created a video right before this. I uh, created a script using ChatGPT and created an intro video. And then I created a, uh, a video using AI and it added all the images based on the script in like 30 minutes, <laughs> you nice. know? And but that's uh, it. And yeah. it, it's, it's shaped, it's your content, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, that's a... It's still your work. And I think that's what's interesting is that, you know, it still requires a, a, the artist to create the art, um, mm-hmm. regardless of, of whether he's playing on an electric synthesizer or, uh, you know, or, or an organ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really a tool at the end of the day. And, you know, it, back then, I mean, people always have always uh, sort of demonized new technology. You know, right. like when they're on horses or like, I'm just, I'm fine with my horse, you know, <laughs> I'm not going right. to drive a car. And, uh, but and imagine so, the world that, that came to that person when they realized, oh, now I don't have to do business in the same right. 50 square miles or 30 square miles that it mm-hmm. takes, you know, even riding 30 miles on a horse and back is, is a long ways. Mm-hmm. So you don't, that's not, you, you do in small little worlds. Mm-hmm. Now with a car, your reach doubles. Now with a plane, now it doubles. Now with a rocket ship. The universe is our neighborhood, and mm-hmm. that's what's really exciting. Absolutely. So you mentioned you're kind of in the forefront of also AI and nanotech. I mean, mm-hmm. what are you seeing in the nanotech space? That's that's really exciting. You know, I've been really, um, I've been down the rabbit hole of longevity. You know, mm-hmm. and and so like I just got this tech right here. It's called nice. Fan. And so I had I have a whoop strap. I, I have, oh really. Uh, We'll have to talk offline about it. But oh, yeah. cool. No, That's I'm awesome. A, uh, I'm a fan of all the biometrics. I tell people all the time I'm mm-hmm. going to live to be 150. Yeah, uh, there we go. 
and and it, it has a lot to do with that and the embracing of new technologies and the you know i'm not doing anything special i'm not accessing anything anybody else does but just eating mindfully believe first step is believing that it's possible um the mind is a very powerful tool and when programmed properly there's really little that it can't achieve um, so I think everything, any great idea starts with believing that it could be possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you tie in some technology and some healthy choices and, you know, it changed the way I work out, it changed the way I eat, you know, even the way we sleep, uh, and those kind of things. And you just, you find what works for you and then new supported technologies. Uh, I actually just got it and, uh, I use NAD, um, uh, and I go to restore, uh, wellness and get the IV bags every other week and, you know, things like that, that really just kind of pump me full of the right ingredients to set me up for success. Um, and, and by doing that and staying and monitoring it all and not being a turtle, you know, getting the tests done and knowing what you need to know about your body, not being afraid of that, but embracing that the earlier you can detect things, the better you can protect things. So the earlier the detection, the, the better. And that's that's how you live to be 150. It's not mm -hmm. some crazy access to medicine or I'm gonna be walking around with a, an IV bag for the rest of my life. It, 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 it's just a small little changes, you know, taking a cold shower every now and again, you know, mm -hmm. you know cryotherapy, you know, the thing, and it, different things work for different people and you know where they're at in their lives, the stress that they're dealing with. And even for me, that, that evolves uh, over time what works best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Um, taking care of ourselves, and for those of you who don't know to, know what a whoop band is, you know, can you just explain a little bit, Jack, what a whoop band is? Um, so it's a whoop strap. So it's a biometric body measurement. So it tells you how you slept last night, how um, you know your workouts went. Um, it it for me it really was a an uh, an enlightenment of my trigger points and hey you're really stressed out your biometrics mm. are saying hey you need to take a break if there's even some mornings in there that you can set and say hey now i you know i know i need 15 minutes so i know i have a busy day doesn't matter take 15 minutes or the rest of the day is going to break down um and i i think you know it's all those subtle little monitorings. It, it integrates in with the, the data from your Apple Watch or your uh, Samsung Watch or whatever. Um, so you, you get a lot of kind of holistic view um, from a data-driven perspective without you thinking about it. It just, you set it on there and you go through your day. Um, and uh, it's a very powerful tool. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's all about information, right? It's about yeah. data. Yeah. And, and the more mindful you are about how you are and who you are, the, the more effective and the longer you'll have an opportunity to live. I mean, you, know, you can't stop freak accidents from happening. I'm just mm -hmm. building a body that can run as long as we can run, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I found too. It's almost like having a meter or a scale for yes. your health. You know what I mean? Like we have a scale, a scale for our weight, but we don't really measure our stress levels. We don't really measure, a lot of people don't measure their sleep, recovery, strain, all of that stuff. And so we kind of like walk around the world just with our, uh, like a chicken with its head cut off. You know, we don't know much about our health like that. And so the whoop band and also aura, you know, there's many of them that right. kind of give you that data. Um, have you ever heard of uh, a guy named Brian Johnson? Not that I'm familiar with. Oh, you got to check him out. He's really interesting. He's starting to really come up. So he sold Venmo for 800 million. He's, um, he right. purchased Venmo for like 20 something million, then built it up and then um, sold it for 800. So nice. um, he's the most measured man, or he says he's the most measured man in the world. Oh, I think I saw something about him. I didn't remember the guy's name, okay. but I, I, think I read an article about him. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been like really watching him and uh, watching. But, I mean, that's the truth. Now, like, you can go too far, I think. Like you know, I, <laughs> I I I think there is some something is too much. But but being mindful about it, you know, understanding your DNA, understanding how you're programmed, what you're predisposed to, you know, all those things matter, and that all these treatment plans are different. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, depending on what your body brings to the table you may have to choose a different path than somebody else. And, and that's going to be so, you know, it's a unique as the human is. Right. Yeah. And his methodology is just start measuring yourself. You know what I mean? But, so that way you have an action plan for yourself and your Absolutely. Body. 
And that, yeah. that is the best advice. You know, mm. What gets measured gets managed. What gets managed gets done. Exactly. And that, whether that's health, whether that's wealth, whether that's happiness or joy, um, I think we don't measure those things as well as we should either. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to start thinking about how moments of joy and happiness is, are, are more valuable than the dollars in their coffers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So um, let's talk about a little bit about your uh, your business, Fortuna BMC. I know we you know we talked about this a few months ago that your company, Fortuna BMC, um, was named Inc. Magazine's top 5,000 fastest growing, company, growing companies, right? Right, two times, actually. Two times, okay. Absolutely. Nice. So we're, we're so, pretty proud of that. Um, and uh, what's even more interesting, uh, last year, uh, we were one of the 100 fastest growing veteran-owned businesses in America. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, as also recognized by, by Inc. Magazine and, and with IBMS, uh, IBMF and Syracuse, New York, uh, mm-hmm. Syracuse University. Yeah, and that's that makes me so happy to hear, you know, when I heard that and now hearing it, that you got it twice. Because remember, we worked together, what, it was probably half a decade ago, five years ago. And so, um, you know, you were looking at grow at that time and to see the success that you've achieved in the past, you know, five years has been so incredible, you know. So I'm so happy um, to hear that. And you're such a you know, great, great guy too. You know, you're a great role model for people. And so it couldn't have happened to a, a better man. You're too kind. I pre- I'm grateful. Thank you. Uh, and I appreciate uh, your help along the journey. Um, you know, we tried some things, we, we learned some lessons and uh, we marched forward. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, together we can achieve a lot more than we can individually. And mm-hmm. you guys were part of that. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So what were some, looking back, what were some like key lessons or um, from your success that, you know, you can share with people about how you grew so quickly? Um, so I would say the main thing I learned uh, is nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. Just don't ride the highs and don't sit in the lows. Understand that whatever it is, it's business and the business economy changes. There are things you're working with humans. There are unknown variables that are out there. It is an adventure. And that if you're doing business, the best way to, to survive and thrive is to, to learn to surf, mm. uh, to ride the waves, the ups and the downs. And they don't get too high, you stay in the pocket of the, the wave, but you don't get too low and you lose your momentum. And so it's really, that's, that's kind of the idea um, is that nothing is ever as good as bad as it seems. We've run through some horrible things. I've, I've had to lay people off. I've, I've, we went from 40 to 800 people in nine months, and we went from 600 to 200 people in 90 days um, because those projects all ended. They were temporary projects. Everybody knew it. It wasn't a tragedy, but it was a rough. You know, they were no, nobody wanted to hear those answers, but COVID was over. They were COVID-related projects, and so it, it started and it ended, and, and it, it was we were grateful to, to be of use, um, and I think everybody knew that, but, you know, you can't ride the highs and lows of that. You can't work with refugees who might or might not be successfully rescued and live the highs and lows of that as well, right? So all the good that we do in the world, you have to maintain that balance of, I do the best I can, we're gonna give it our best effort and our, you know, the success is, is what it is. But if you ride those highs and lows, um, it can really be overwhelming especially for the entrepreneur because they're isolated, right? There's not a lot of a support group. You're doing that alone. You're often afraid to tell your family. You don't want to feel like a failure. You're tied up into your job and there's freedom in sharing and everybody, you know, trying to be on the same page. And so one of the things that Fortuna did really well is um, we put our why right up front. Um, everybody wants to help veterans. That's we're all veterans or spouses or reservists or D all of the above, um, you know, children of, of the military as well. Um, and so they want to help. And so when bad things happen, I can bring the team in and we can have the tough conversations and say, Hey, look, this happened. And for one of those projects with a, a we had to cut people. They, everybody chose to give up a day's salary rather than cut the staff. 
you know, things like that that we can do in, in creative. And, and you wouldn't have been able to think about that unless you had, had brought them in and been willing to share and be willing to be vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. I trained my entire executive staff down to the director and manager level on our finances in Fortuna as a privately held business. I own 87% of Fortuna and I show them the finances because mm. I want them to know what we're doing and that how we're doing it and the impact that we make. You know, it's in that camaraderie and that collaboration that we're able to achieve whatever the world puts in front of us. And the, they keep giving us bigger and bigger problems to solve them. And we're fortunate enough we've been able to solve them so far. And I think we've got some new, interesting, uh, bigger problems that are on the horizon for us to solve. So I'm excited for, for what's coming. Um, I think we're going to be on the Inc. 5000 list for many years to come. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the pipeline. Wow. That is amazing. So there's so many things to unpack there. Um, let's talk about like, you mentioned being transparent with the finances. Mm-hmm. So where do you draw the line of what to share and what not to share? You know, I kind of think of like, you know, a parent, right? Like sometimes parents, they kind of hold back what they want to share, you know, kind of similar to what you mentioned. Well, because Why would I ask them to drive a car with one eye open, mm-hmm. right? So I, I share it all other than salaries of individuals and at the C-level, you know, they see their staff anyway. But, um, you know, the only thing we don't talk about is salaries. And even with the salaries, we try as best we can to be as fair and balanced so everybody's on the same scale so that there isn't anybody that goes, oh, why is so-and-so making more than me or whatever? Everybody knows their value. They know what they're contributing to the organization. They know what they cost. Um, and they know how they can impact our success. And so they treat our dollars like their dollars. Um, and and that, that really they are our dollars. By including them in those conversations, we get to choose the good that we do in the world and how we use it. Um, mm, I see. And you mentioned your executive team. As you were scaling, how did you decide who to hire? Like, did you hire executives first or did you hire like higher level, like a manager and then work your way up? Like a little bit of both. Okay. Um, primarily the latter, um, you know, cause in the beginning we went from 40 to 800 people in nine months um, and 600 of those in the first six months. So we just had to go. Right. So I had to. So part of what we do really well is building on demand teams. I, I would say that's really our claim to fame. We've hired 300 people in 72 hours. Um, we were able to do that through a very clear command and control module. Right. So I've got a director that I hired and they hired some managers and I helped them hire those. And that's how we got started. And then by training those, they brought in their supervisors. And, and so the, the wave kind of rolled quickly. And so you start with the leaders so that the leaders get to choose their teams and everybody kind of gets to build those teams. Um, so we kind of build them like little tiger teams, you know, it's three to five, six people that kind of go out and then create and grow the head of the snake. Uh, and then it, it, it kind of grows out from there. Um, but by being able to divide and conquer like that, um, you can handle multiple um, projects at the same time. Mm. Uh, it's, very, it's a very trusting organization. We, we put a lot of uh, responsibility and accountability on our staff and uh, they welcome it. We, you know, it's what helps us be successful. So we always move quickly and effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's not always rainbows and sunshine, but you know, the end of the day, who we are as a partner is one of those that is collaborative and problem solving. And, and that's really, you know, don't tell anybody, but that's really my secret sauce. You know, when we get you to done, it's not always done right the first time. It never is. You don't always know what you want the first time to begin with. You know, if people, t- if Henry Ford asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. They didn't even know they wanted a car. So you got to have those conversations. You, you figure that out, but it's not the, how you start, it's how you finish. And I think that's what people find with Fortuna is that the journey is, is friendly. It's agreeable. It's focused on outcomes and success, not blame and attitude. Uh, and I think, you know, that's really what my podcast and my book and all that stuff is about is really purpose and prosperity and doing good in the world while we make money. Um, and, and so I try to instill that in all of our teams so that they know that. And then 
the rest of that kind of takes care of our, itself. We have a mission statement here at Fortuna that is uh, to improve the lives of our people, our customers, and the communities are a part of. Because if we take mm-hmm. care of our people, they'll take care of our customers, and the rest of it takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that mission statement. That's very powerful and kind of reminds me of um, most been, uh, recently I've been doing some research into uh, Japanese companies because um, many of them live on generations. And so I, my vision for my company is to, to have it live on be, you know, forever. You know, it's kind of idealistic, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about, you know, who to hire, how to grow um, and building it in a, you know, with a, with a great foundation. So it seems like you're, you're very, you're thinking about the same thing. Absolutely. I, I tell people all the time, my goal is for Fortuna to be a hundred year old, continuously disabled veteran owned business. Um, but what that means is it has to live on past me and I have to build a process and a path for other veterans to come in. And so that's what we're working on right now is kind of what that looks like. Uh, my goal is to kind of build a, a mini LLP type model where we're the shared services engine and you know you don't have to be a great salesperson or an administrator or an operator. You can be great at whatever your niche skill is and you can go become your own practice and even have your own business. And so that's how I envision ultimately passing on ownership of Fortuna, mm-hmm. which is also why I try to get our staff more involved in it because it, it you know, we're, we're a for-profit veteran service organization for the most part. You know, it's, you know, we, we trying to help, we're trying to do good in the world and, you know, yeah, we want to make enough to, to live off of and, and pay good salaries, but, um, you know, the rest of it goes right back into people and uh, communities. And, and that's, what's really, I think been a, a key to our growth it has really been when I was willing to put our why up front. Um, I would say that was a really interesting lesson learned along the way. Um, you asked that earlier, I probably should have shared it, but, um, the let being able to share your why i mean i've always loved simon sinek's book start with why right um people don't buy why you do they buy what what you do they buy why you do mm-hmm. and you know especially in an it consulting and staffing company it's no more about you know no more prevalent than that because you you're kind of a dime a dozen but if you can say hey look when you spend a dollar here not only do we do this, but we've hired 17 veterans for, for 17 in our back office. So out of our North Carolina offices, we've solved this problem. When you spend money with us, we hire veterans. So come work with us. We got to buy it anyway. And, and I think when we were willing to put that why out there, it was really illuminating. Uh, it's why I started the Purposeful Prosperity podcast was because it's the altruist dilemma, right? I do good things in the world because I'm a good person for me. I don't need cameras and a telegram and a press release and you know then it feels disingenuous then it's a then it's a press stump Mm. but there's a balance between that and so i wanted to create a place where people could tell their story of the good that they do because if it's important enough that i'm giving my time to it i need to tell you and everyone else about it so that they know it's important enough for them to give their time so that why and the what still needs to get out there you don't have to say hey come look at how great or how kind i am that's not about that but i'm out here doing this work, solving this problem, and you should too, and here's why. And that's really what, for, what Purposeful Prosperity is about, is to try to tell people all the good that they're doing so that they can come on and say, hey, here's why you call me. I'm really good at what I do, but I do really good things in the world when I do it too. And that message has been transformational for us. Mm. So besides a why, I mean, I can only imagine as you're scaling so quickly, you know, everybody's kind of running around fast, right? They like, you're moving oh, fast. very fast. We had a lot of new butts and a lot of new seats. So I, we had a jackectomy on top of it because I had to take myself, I had, I went from entrepreneur to CEO, right. like a real CEO. I didn't even get a chance to ease into it. I mm. went from me and my business partner who owns the other part of my company to seven other, five other people around the table. And all doing jobs that either he or I had done um, for the last six or eight years. And so it was easy to navigate. We knew each other. We knew the operating models and all of that. Um, So uh, it was probably the most challenging for me to let go. Uh, uh, It was a hard jolt to say, oh, I I don't need to be involved in, you know, and then there's that, you know, it's my company and all of those things. And so finding that right balance uh, 
was a real uh, testament to my team and our communication and, and uh, our focus on our why, right? And we were able to work through the, you know, the difficult days and the, you know, the, the rough edges and, oh, sorry, didn't mean to step on your toes and all those things that happen. So you jumped into the CEO pretty quickly. How did you transition? Because not every, not every founder is going to be a good CEO, right? So, I mean, did you... I had always feel- planned to be a CEO. Oh, okay. So, so although I was prepared to be a founder, um, I'm classically trained. Uh, it was, I came through the, through the business ranks a little bit. I've got an MBA, you know, I, I kind of set myself up to, to kind of be prepared. Um, and I had always planned on Fortuna and growing at small business. So I knew if it was going to do that, I was going to have to be a good enough leader to be a CEO, um, and be able to let go. And that was really ultimately what led to the success of handing things off was because I had to be, I had to go, okay, this is what I wanted, George. And, you know, sometimes that didn't work out right. And, you know, I hired a couple of the wrong folks too, which didn't help any of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they were well-meaning and, and all of that, but it just wasn't a good fit for us. And uh, so a couple of those mistakes too, and you just had to be kind of creative for that. Mm-hmm. So when you mentioned hiring the wrong people, in what way were they wrong? So we went from 40 to 800 people overnight. New butts, new seats, new processes, new everything, everywhere. And people who operate in large businesses that grew up in enterprise, you know, 1,000, 5,000 person companies, they don't understand how to operate in that space. And they want to put all the structure and all the controls and all the governance that comes that they feel like that's how you get the outcomes is through all this governance. Uh, And I think that that's where the challenge lies in a lot of ways. Uh, When you come from an enterprise scale and you try to go do entrepreneurial things, um, some people are built for that world and some people aren't. And and frankly, they're kind of two different humans. and one isn't always successful in the other and, and neither is good or bad. It just wasn't a good fit here uh, in our particular environment. And I think even the people that, that, that weren't the right fits, they weren't, they weren't bad people. I would recommend them to others. They're, they're way great and talented and, and humans I still appreciate. Um, they just weren't the, what we needed for our company at this time. Mm-hmm. So now that you're in the sort of enterprise level are you hiring more enterprise type of people who are accustomed to that? Or are you still hiring like, you know, people that are used to the startup? Um, I'm keeping the on. So pretty much we try to promote from within where we can. We've, we've taken on some partners and um, some consultants have come on as our, our executives and things like that. So we kind of had the relationships in place for the, a lot of the C-levels that kind of evolved naturally, um, believe it or not, even though it happened over a very quickly short period of time. Um, and so we were able to, you know, outside of the, the few kind of shuffles that, that had to happen to, to get to the right mix. Um, it, it really just fell into place. Um, they promoted from, we mostly promoted from within um, and kind of keep, and, and really we want to do that because we want to maintain our entrepreneurialism, right? Part of what our primes love about us, you know, the big five guys, you know, um, the blue chip companies, they call us and we're their delivery and solution arm. And they appreciate that we're easy to do business with. When something goes wrong, not pointing fingers and you did this and I did that. And we said this, and this is what the contract says. We go, hey, we signed up to do this. The customer has a need. What do we need to do to meet the customer's need? They finally want to come back. (laughs) Uh, And I'd say, you know, that's really the most important thing to remember. Got it. Okay. And right now, how many employees are you guys hovering around? Uh, we, so we went from 40 to 800 and then from 600 to 200, kind of a natural attrition as some of the projects kind of went down uh, very quickly. Right. Um, and we're right about 300 right now. We've got a couple of projects. Um, I expect by the end of this year, we'll be back in the six, 800 range. Mm-hmm. Um, if not a little bit heavier than that, depending on how some things fall. Okay. It's all so, government work. So it's slow and, you know, right. it's time to, to realize. Mm-hmm. So there's, 
definitely phases of businesses, right? Like there's the startup phase and then you're, you're, go, you're going to manage like a dozen people. And then now you're managing like, you know, directors and VPs and executives. Is there, I mean, I guess what's the next level for you? Is it like magic getting from where you're at to 5,000 to 10,000? Like, I don't know that it's a headcount number. I mean, the, the headcount was kind of a function of uh, some call center work that we were doing um, anyway. So it was high volume, lots of people um, type work. Um, so it's it's not like a scorekeeping kind of game like that. I mean, obviously, we want to put as many people to work as we can. Um, but it's really about the impact that, that we can do with those employees and how many veterans we can employ, how many spouses and reservists, uh, you know, when they're not actively deployed, keeping them uh, actively employed. Um, you know, that's really the scores that we like to keep. Um, for us, you know, from an enterprise level kind of class perspective, I would say, um, you know, we are an emerging small business, uh, uh, an emer you know, we're graduating to midsize, um, but we're just crossing that chasm. And I think that it's one of the biggest hurdles that most companies run into. And I'm really grateful for the, the quick rise that we had because it was able to give us the financing to kind of jump over the gap because there was a gap when we went from 60 to 200 you know we almost didn't get here you know that's always the story right it's always hanging by a thread till it isn't and uh and that's kind of that for sure been our story and and we're really just now kind of establishing that okay we've got five year plus contracts we've got you know we're going to do 20 million dollars a year for the next five years and we're not going to have to worry about that now we get to see what more we can, good we can do. And, and so now you're building on success rather than having to establish success. Because I think that as you get started in the early stages of your business, um, you know, you got to take the work that nobody else wants anyway. So it's short term, it's three months, it's six months, it's 12 month contracts. So each year you kind of have to hit the same home run just to do what you did last year. Mm -hmm. um, where now we're starting to win those five plus two contracts. And so these contracts go to the contracts we win next year, to the contracts we win next year. And many of these, as long as we continue to do well at, we can operate for, you know, as long as the service is available in those particular areas. Mm -hmm. um, and so now we're growing into that mid-sized business um, where we have kind of an established base and, and some true operating. Uh, I'd say we're just really graduating from the entrepreneurial startup, small business, probably sat there for eight years. We went from... We went from two to 20 million in 18 months. Mm. Wow. That, that is amazing. So kind of changing topics, um, still related to Inc. Magazine, but you facilitated a conscious coupling. I saw that video, conscious coupling panel. Yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So that, uh, Devaney, uh, my fiance, uh, we get married at the end of this year. Um, but uh, she and I had gone to um, Inc. Uh, retreat with uh, Scott O'Malley Nook and uh, some of the leadership there at, at Inc. Magazine. Um, and what they saw from us and what, what, what the panel was really about was um, how to choose a partner and how to become a partner with an entrepreneur. Mm. And, and really the talk is about choosing it someone who integrates into your entrepreneurial journey, not somebody who can tolerate your entrepreneurial journey. So that's really where the conscious coupling comes in by, by making sure that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, that's your lifeblood, right? This is our, you know, a lot of our identities are tied up into to our businesses and definitely a, a lot of our ego and self-worth can be tied up in there. And, and, you know, and who you are as a person, you put your blood, sweat and tears into it. If nothing else, it's your art. And, to not share that art with the people who love you most um, is a disservice to both parties. Um, and so choose people who align with your why. It actually comes back similarly to, to my business concepts in a lot of ways. So um, kind of accidentally, not accidental, if, if that's possible, um, that it's all about aligning the good that we wanted to create in the world was the same good that she wanted to create in the world. And so she wanted to join with me and was curious as to what I was doing. And she was asking questions about my business and, and trying to understand how she could help affect success for us. And more importantly, we both have an external focus of the good that we can do in the world. Um, and so we just keep getting bigger and bigger problems to solve and we keep trying to solve them. Mm. So how do you choose the right 
person, you know, like, do you ask them if they're willing to, you know, participate with what your vision is like and your why? I think it's about putting yourself out there, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily need to have them tied to your why. You know, that's, that's a, you know, a great gift if you can get it. Um, but I think the key is more understanding and mutual respect, right? You have to be willing to share that journey, right? I think it's oftentimes you don't want to tell your spouse or your partner, hey, I'm not going to be able to make rent because of this field that you go through. You know, that's the entrepreneurial truth sometimes. And that's a hard lesson to share. So it's more about creating that safe space for effective and supportive communication and making sure that you're approaching the same goal. It could be, hey, you're the entrepreneur and I'm not, but I trust you and I believe you. And, and, you, know, and I'm, you go do that. And I'm going to take care of this. But you can't create that wall between them. They have to understand the journey and you've, you've got, it's a lonely path as an entrepreneur and you can't even bring your spouse along with it. And worse yet, your spouse doesn't know what you're taking with you. Then they don't really know you then, do they? If this is half of your life or more where you spend your time, I mean, most entrepreneurs don't work 40 hour jobs. So this is kind of a integrated, you know, I know for me, it's a lifestyle job. I, my work fits into to my day-to-day -day life. I travel, I, I, I negotiate deals while I'm on the road. Um, I travel for work, I travel for fun. Um, but the work doesn't stop. I've got a number of businesses I support and customers across the globe. So, you know, work's always being done. And I just make myself available and I'm grateful that it travels and shifts. But all of that's possible because I have an understanding partner who shares those conversations with me and understands it. Uh, ultimately, I was lucky enough to, to allow her to uh, leave her job and come work with us for the time. Um, but, you know, even if you don't have that, it's about communication and being on the same page and creating this safe space for, difficult, you know, for, for not the answer they want to hear, right? Because I think we spend a lot of times in relationships just trying to become who we think our partner wants us to be. And I think we need to find partners who like us for who we are and want to be with that person. Because I think, you know, we're, we're kind of programmed, especially, you know, as children, right? The hunter and, and the protector, right? Like, you're going to go out there and catch somebody. And, and so to do that, I need to make myself this, this version of me that everybody's going to love. I don't want everybody to love me. I want one person to love. I want the person who loves me to love me. And I think that's what would gets lost and that I just want somebody to love me. And I think that's, you know, I'm hopeful that we can um, be ambassadors for, for that change. And, uh, and particularly in the entrepreneurial space, um, embolden couples to share with one another the trials and tribulations, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, it's all about community at the end of the day. And for entrepreneurs, for businesses, for families, and if you're not sharing who you are, you're not building community. And we are communal humans. That is awesome. What a great way to end, Jack. It's always a pleasure connecting with you. I feel like, man, an hour goes by so fast whenever uh, we get a chat. But um, yeah, thank you so much for being on. Uh, where can people find you? How can they support you? Um, well, that's a ton of different ways. So I apologize in advance. So um, main way is FortunaBMC.com. That's uh, Fortuna Bravo Mike Charlie.com. Uh, uh, that's our main IT consulting company. If you want to hire veterans in your neighborhood tomorrow, call us today and, and we'll figure that out. Um, I also am launching a podcast and a, a book called Purposeful Prosperity. And you can find me there at HeyJackSmith.com. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much everybody for tuning in and I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks.